Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning to all. So it's my understanding that we stand for the reading of the Scripture. Is that right? I love that. So if you'll join me, we're going to read this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I haven't heard that sound of the Scripture turning since I was a little boy. I, that, that, that's great. I love that. All right. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-13. to 13. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, According to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Thank you. Uh, You may be seated. Let me open with just a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to uh, come alongside a a group of local believers in this area to uh, worship you as the church. the gathered church who comes together uh, to do your will. Um, And so, Father, we come before you looking at this passage and ask for uh, insight, um, ask that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, allow us to to observe, to see, to understand, so that we might apply and live out this incredible gospel treasure that you have entrusted to us uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we just ask these things in, in your son's name. Amen. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here. It's, it really is a joy to, to serve um, a local body. And, um, you know, as I thought about what passage to, uh, to preach, I think the Lord just kind of led me to, to 2 Timothy, uh, particularly because I feel like 2 Timothy, and in, in the background of 2 Timothy, is a lot like, or is looking more like uh, the first more and, more and more like the first century in which it was written. And what I mean by that is uh, a lot of sociologists are starting to call our culture here in America more of a post-Christian nation. And you, if, you probably feel that as the years go on, as Christians become more of a minority. Um, and with that, usually comes more suffering, more hardship, more persecution. And those things will continue continue to increase. In fact, uh, Paul says that 
in, uh, in, this, in this book in 2 Timothy, that people will, will want to have teachers uh, that, that say things to their itching ears and that, that sound doctrine is very important and to guard that. And so uh, we're coming more and more into a time where the light of Jesus Christ is going uh, to shine brightly for those uh, gospel laborers that the body of Christ is to carry forth the, the light of the truth of the gospel. And so we need Christians to live out that gospel, to be participators, to be co-laborers of this treasure called Jesus Christ. And so the Lord calls His servants to faithfully steward the gospel. He calls His servants to faithfully steward the gospel. And that's really what this passage is about. Paul is encouraging Timothy in this, in this last letter of his uh, to faithfully steward the gospel, to remain on course in midst of what the first century was starting to look like, darker and darker and darker. And Paul actually is, is uh, writing this uh, in chains, in prison, um, and most likely his death was, uh, was, was soon to come. And so um, he's encouraging Timothy. Uh, sometimes we call him timid Timothy. You know, he's, 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 he's saying the Lord has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so continue on in that course. Paul lovingly encourages his son in the faith to, to, to find strength in Jesus Christ, this, this refueling in Christ. And after you refuel in Christ, to then relay the treasure of Christ to other people who will also continue that relay. And then finally to remember Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at that Paul tells Timothy. Um, So verse 1, Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, my son or my child, and it's this this term of uh, endearment, this this special relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Paul was a, a mentor of Timothy. And he took Timothy on many journeys along with Paul, and they grew together, and Timothy was able to see Paul and witness how Paul talked and reasoned in the synagogues and communicated the gospel and lived out the gospel in the midst of persecution or shipwreck or famine, whatever it may be. Timothy was able to see the contentment that Paul had in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, in his kind of final letter, is saying, You therefore, my child, my son in the faith, be strong. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so, we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ, and we are continued to be sanctified by grace. And, and, and so the question is, what does that look like? Um, it, I think it has a lot to do with just being in the presence of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul starts off by saying, go to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we see it in Scripture where uh, Jesus himself in John 15 says, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so that's where it starts. That's where our strength begins, to abide in him. And uh, f- from our abiding in him overflows a deep love um, that, that, that pours out to other people. And so uh, Paul says, Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Those words are very, very important in the, in the New Testament. In Christ His identity is in Christ, not in his surroundings, not in his weakness. Um, And so I think think as Paul begins to to, uh, help Timothy stay the course, 
this, this can be an encouraging message for us because uh, not only our times continuing to get darker, but just in our lives, we go up and down, and sometimes we, we, uh, we may struggle with identity. And depending on your job situation, family situation, to be able to wake up and say, no matter the circumstances, I was made with, with a purpose, for a purpose, and that is to proclaim Christ, to grow in Him, and to make Him known, and to continue that chain um, of, of, of entrusting to others the faithful gospel. And so we start with that identity in Christ Jesus. And, and it's in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we need Christ, and He gives us Himself, and that is what we are to be refueled in, but it's also the point at which uh, we begin to relay that to others. And so in verse 2, we, we become relayers of a great treasure. And Paul says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so this is, uh, this is, this is Paul communicating to Timothy the things that you've heard. Just previously in the chapter, in, in the previous chapter, chapter 1, he says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. And so this idea that, that Timothy has seen, the things that Timothy has seen in Paul, he is now to carry that on and relay that. It's like a baton, you know, handing off a baton in, in, in the big relay to the next person is very, very important. You know, it would be weird if, if that person just stopped all of a sudden and didn't hand off the baton. And so Paul is calling on him to be a steward of the gospel. Colossians 1 says, of, Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And later he goes on to say, This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have this incredible treasure that we're entrusted with. And we are to um, relay that to those around us. And it's really, um, it's, it's not rocket scientists, and you guys know this, it's, it's just discipleship. And it's, 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 it's following Christ, and it's following someone who follows Christ, and being able to be a part of that unbroken chain of relaying the gospel treasure. Um, I was re- recently reading a book uh, by a guy named Jamie Smith, it's called You Are What You Love. And he basically talks about the fact that we're shaped by what we love and that our loves are often seen and modeled in other people. And so, basically, he's saying what Paul is saying in that the more we're around mentors and disciplers who are pouring into us, we are shaped by them. And as we are around them, they kind of help uh, recalibrate the, the, like if you're thinking of a compass, like they kind of help recalibrate the, the, the needle of our hearts um, towards Christ Jesus. And that's the beauty of being around spiritual mentors. And that's, that's some of the language in this book. But I, I love it because it, it really reflects what Paul is saying. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, take that and then entrust that to faithful men. And a lot of that is, is, is sometimes caught more than taught, and, and we need information, obviously, but it doesn't just stay up here, it's, it's life transformation, it's not merely um, knowledge information. And so, um, 
we point people to a Savior. And it's just, and, and you guys know this, but when you're around somebody who just is radically passionate for Jesus Christ, and um, I mean, that just radiates, right? And so you, you're, you're, you're affected by that. Um, and so we, we point people to a person. Um, we don't point people to a how-to book or um, the ways of Christianity or the top five secrets of Christianity. No, we point them to a person and, and encourage them to find their strength in Christ. And so um, Paul does that. He says in many other times, he says, 1 Corinthians, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Later he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And so that's discipleship. That's entrusting uh, this treasure to somebody else who's going to then carry that on to the next person, to faithful men, to, to trustworthy men. Sometimes in discipleship um, and in Christianity, what I've experienced is that um, we, we try to adhere to kind of the cultural um, status quo of, of uh, one day a week or um, we'll, we'll just do discipleship uh, on kind of on their terms you know, that the commitment level is not that high. Um, but discipleship is, is pretty radical. And so, you know, I think Paul raises the bar that we have an incredible treasure to entrust to somebody, but we need to entrust those that and be a good steward of that gospel to faithful people, to reliable people who are going to carry that on to others. And so there's actually four generations. I don't know if you see it in the verse, but four generations there um, that goes from... Paul to Timothy, and then entrusting that to others who will then teach others. And so that's that unbroken chain of carrying the gospel to someone, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Timothy experienced this with his own grandmother and his mother who delivered the faith to him. And Paul uh, you know, obviously had a part in that as kind of his spiritual father. So that's them carrying on that faith, that treasure uh, uh, called discipleship. It's sort of, it's sort of like the, uh, the kingdom parable where um, it's, it's, I believe it's in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's so incredible. But what are you going to do with it? We're all stewards of that gospel. And I think the... the um, we have a, the challenge for us is to not just be Sunday Christians, but Monday through Saturday to be stewards of that gospel with the people that are around us, that the Lord puts in kind of this, our sphere of influence, and, and, and to actually do discipleship. You know, that's the one thing that Jesus commanded the church to do is to make disciples of all nations, to go and make disciples, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them. And so, you know, Bible study is not, discipleship is not merely a Bible study, although it involves that. Um, It's not merely coming to a building, but it does involve gathering together. Um, It's not necessarily cloning ourselves, but it's, it's inviting people in to follow us as we follow Christ, to learn from us mistakes as well, um, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and to help somebody to be equipped, to be trained, so that they can then share the faith with other people. And so I, I think, at least I grew up 
in a generation that um, really emphasized more of decisions than discipleship. And it was, it was kind of, you know, you just kind of check that box and you make that decision. And Christianity, for me, growing up, at least felt more of something in the past. It was a moment, which it is, but it's a moment that carries on and it's, it's following Jesus Christ. And so Timothy is encouraged by Paul to, to stay that course. To You have this incredible treasure. Now train up others in that way. You know, not only includes the training of doctrine, but, but um, how to share your faith and understanding evangelism and, uh, and all of these things. And, and, and that takes inviting somebody into your life. And so I just want to encourage you today. This is something the Lord has kind of uh, been growing in my heart um, that I've been convicted of the last couple of years. And that is just praying and asking God who around me would be three or four people that I can, that I can pour into, that I can disciple, that I can encourage. And in our world, and especially in our culture in the hill country, we've been out in this area in Spring Branch for about 10 years, but you know, we're kind of spread apart a little bit, and so it's sometimes a little hard, but I want to encourage you to, to think about that in discipling others. It's part of entrusting this incredible gospel treasure to the next generation. Um, and so, and if we do this, you know, it's not going to be easy, but it, 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 uh, it's worth it. Um, but often it involves hardship. And so in verse 3, Paul says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And so suffering usually goes along with, with, with being a Christian. Um, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, he said. Um, Paul, Paul says, No soldier in active service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so, first question to ask, well, okay, Paul's beginning to use some metaphors here to describe the characteristics of one who is a good steward of the gospel. The first is a soldier, okay? Um, the next will be an athlete. And then the third will be a farmer. So what are some good characteristics of a soldier? Maybe we can be a little interactive. Is Charlie pretty interactive with you guys? No? Oh, okay. Oh, oh okay. Um, do we have anybody in the military? Not anymore? Okay, okay. What, what are some good characteristics of, uh, of a soldier? Focus, commitment. What's that? Follows orders, yes. He's a commander, right? Um, that's good, that's good. I, I was, found a few articles, because obviously I haven't been in the military. Um, kind of had some thoughts like you did, but um, I found one article that, that uh, was in the New York Times, and it was speaking of a, uh, someone in the military who was asked, you know, what qualities make a good soldier in combat? And he says, what, different, what different, differentiates those few true warriors from the rest of the crowd? I can only speculate that it is having the internal fortitude to take action when action is needed. It is not being reckless or seeking medals, but fighting in a keen and undaunted manner. It is acting on a will to win and refusing anything short of it. And then I found a soldier's guide from 1952 that says, um, that was talking about the qualities of a good soldier. Uh, and I, I was telling my wife on the way here, I'm a little embarrassed on where I found it, but it, it, it's an actual 
United States Soldier Guide of 1952, but it was quoted in a website um, called The Art of Manliness. So um, I don't know anything about that, but I, I, I think it's an okay website. But nevertheless, The Soldier's Guide is from the United States, and it says, all these qualities are important parts of a soldier's character, but the quality that all of our great soldiers have had, the quality that gave meaning to all of their other virtues is conviction of purpose. Conviction of purpose. So that, that single-minded conviction of purpose. And in our culture, sometimes, especially as Christians, it can, be, it can be easy to get sidetracked. We have a lot of options out there. And we're busy and overcommitted. And it's a struggle. Struggle for me. But do we have a single-minded conviction of purpose like a soldier who is determined, no matter what, um, to obey his commander, to, um, to have focus. And, and, and that means not to be entangled with the everyday affairs of life that a soldier is just, he doesn't mess with. And that's what Paul says. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier, the commanding officer. Right, And so, uh, Peter tells us too, in another passage, to in a sense, uh, prepare our minds or gird up our loins for action. Um, this, this, this readiness in our, in our spirit to, to be fixed completely on the, the aim, uh, the, to, to win the battle, the victory that we have. And and sometimes, I don't know that as Christians, we're, we're as passionate in knowing the goal. I mean, the goal is clearly Christ Jesus. But sometimes we need kind of a little um, uh, kind of pick-me-up speech or um, you know, a, little, a little encouragement. And this is what Paul's saying. Like a soldier, I mean, he's focused. He's zeroed in. Um, you know, gird up your loins. And, and what, that, what that means is... What Peter was saying is that they would wear these, these long, uh, their, their clothes were very long in the first century. And so when they prepared for battle, they would essentially have to take their, their long dress-like thing for a man and kind of wrap it around them and under them, kind of like a diaper, and then tie it and make it into shorts so that they could run. And so sometimes, and you know, as Christians, we, we struggle because there's a lot of options. We get ta- entangled in going a lot of different ways. Um, and we do... A lot of things poorly as opposed to a few things really well. And so uh, Paul is saying, like a soldier, have, have that single-minded conviction of purpose. Also, the second metaphor is, is one of, of, of an athlete. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And so uh, this word athlete is, is really the word uh, to compete, uh, to struggle, to contest, to... Uh, Conflict. It's 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 to strive uh, towards something. Um, typically in competition or in conflict. And so uh, think think maybe Rudy Rudiker or somebody. Uh, you know some uh, think Manu Ginobili, somebody who um, you know athletic. He he he's athletic, but but what stands out if you know the Spurs about Manu Ginobili? 
He is diving on the floor. He is an exciting player to follow because he is all in. And so an athlete is someone who strives to compete, um, to engage, and, and, and to have that extreme readiness and exertion when needed. Um, and we, we also need that as co-laborers of the gospel in, in a community. So uh, there's some other passages that use that same word that competes. We compete as gospel laborers, but we also compete as a community, sometimes in conflict for the sake of unity. But Paul is using it here in terms of, in, in terms of determination, in terms of um, struggling together to, to, to compete. And not only to compete, but to compete according to the rules. And so the kind of the background uh, for that first century was the Greek games, the Greek Olympic games that, that were going on under Roman rule. And it was, it was uh, during that time where different uh, participants had to abide by certain rules. One of them was that they had to, uh, one, be born a Greek. Secondly, they had to prepare for a number of months. I think it was like 10 months. And thirdly, they had to abide by all the event rules. And so... Um, it, when we play a game or when we, when we are in an athletic contest, there are rules to that, okay? And so we've got we've to abide by that. And as Christians, we strive to do that, but we don't do it aimlessly, like Paul says. You know, we beat our body we, in the sense of we train it, and, and, um, but we, we, we run with purpose. And so... Paul is saying we, we compete, but we compete according to the rules. We're, we are law-abiding, um, and we are under the law of Christ, which is really the, the law of the, the Spirit. Um, and so the Spirit of love. And so we do things, but we do things in a gospel-worthy manner that glorifies God. And so ultimately, um, I remember somebody telling me this years ago, you know, there's really two scoreboards during a game. You know, there's the, there's the scoreboard that that is the score of the game, and then there's kind of a different scoreboard and how you did and how you, how you reflected God in, in the way you played. And so um, as an athlete, Paul's encouraging Timothy to, to, to compete, um, to strive, to determine, have that determination of will, but, but to do it in a gospel-worthy manner. And then finally, the third metaphor is that of a farmer. So a hard-working farmer. Do we have any farmers in here? No farmers. One farmer. All right. So what are some good qualities of a farmer? Patience. That's really good because, yeah, you've got to have patience. It doesn't just happen. The harvest doesn't just happen as soon as you throw the seed down, right? Hard work. Yeah, and that's in this passage. Paul says, the hard-working farmer. Okay? Literally, not to be weary. And, and sometimes in our Christian life, we get tired, not only physically, but figuratively. We get discouraged. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay the course, to, 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 to continue in the hard work. Um, you know, Paul didn't just sit on a couch and proclaim Christ. He was a worker. He wasn't lazy. And I, I, I listed a bunch of verses that, that Paul uses this word, hardworking. And I'm just going to read them off to you. I, I 
probably won't quote you the reference, but um, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them through, the, uh, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And we labor working with our hands. Second uh, Thessalonians, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor. First Thessalonians, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. First Corinthians uh, 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, this is that hard working, I toil, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, therefore my brothers, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And so there are countless other verses. The farmer is not lazy. He works hard, rain or shine, light or dark, sweat, tears, thorns, thistles, whatever it may be. He works hard and he has the harvest in mind. That's the goal, the harvest. It involves patience. It involves him being consistent to persevere Planting seeds takes time. In a different metaphor that Jesus used, fishing takes time. We're fishers of men. But God ultimately is the one who makes it grow. God ultimately is the one who draws uh, people to himself. But we need to be faithful. We need to be a hardworking farmer. And behind, I think behind every spiritual mentor giant in our lives, if you had to think about somebody who has taught you a lot in what you've seen in their life, it doesn't, it doesn't just kind of happen. They're, they're hard workers. And it's the grace of God working in them, like Paul said, but, but they're passionately at work um, because they, they, they know that time is limited. They know that, that God is patient, wanting all to come to a knowledge of Him. But they are stewards of the gospel. And we've been given this incredible treasure to, to work and to um, relay that to the next person. And so it's, so it's it's so encouraging for me to see people because that really encourages me. And there's a lot of really faithful men and women who are, um, who are doing this in our, in our world. And, and that's just glory to God because it's an incredible encouragement, uh, not only to me, but to the body as we continue forward when the, with, with delivering the gospel and the unbroken chain of, of this relay. And then finally, verse 7, Paul says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We don't often take time to, to kind of consider or reflect on what we read. And this is an interesting verse because Paul is saying, Consider, stop for a moment, and, and give it some thought. Take note. Okay? Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Psalm 1 talks about this. To meditate upon the word of God. 
and we need to do more of this in our, in our life. Um, and Jesus uh, illustrated this. He would oftentimes go off into the, you know, up on the mountain or, or um, to get away, to get alone and, and, and spend time with the Lord. And funny, though, most of those times got interrupted, um, which I think were just divine appointments for him to minister and have compassion on somebody. So it's not a perfect deal that you get alone and, and, and everything is great. Um, what's great is what is being with the Lord, whether it's there or he brings somebody into your life. And um, so this is part of part of discipleship is is reflecting on what God is doing and then praying that he uses that to to apply it to your life. Um, and so he's given us these these really these three metaphors to be strengthened in the grace of Christ. And then he gives us three metaphors one, in being a soldier, like a soldier. Two, like an athlete, to compete, to strive. And then three, like the hardworking farmer. And these are all images that are, these are characteristics of those uh, faithful stewards of the gospel. And he's, he's encouraging Timothy to, to do this. And I just want to keep reiterating that the whole idea of imitation is something that is is, is seen. Paul says, what you've seen in me, what you've heard in me. Uh, John says this as well. There's, it's so powerful. Discipleship is so powerful by being with another person intentionally. And often, um, informally, they see your love for Christ and the beauty of the Savior that, that you are focused on. And um, so, so here's an example. Um, since my kids are in here, and this is kind of funny, but um, so, so we got into uh, basketball, uh, into the playoffs this past summer, and it's funny, I have four boys, but none of them seem to be Spurs fans, I think partly because they are just doing that to be funny, but um, one of them likes Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors, and the other one uh, is a Rockets fan, likes James Harden, and so they got, their mother got them some shirts to wear for, uh, for whenever they wanted to wear it. And probably, I told somebody the other day, you know, if the summer was like 80 or 90 days, I think they've worn these clothes for about 75 to 80 days of those 90 days. No joke. Um, because they, they see this person and they want to be like them. They want to look like them. They've never talked to them, but, but they want to imitate them. And so, obviously, you know, we're not talking Christian discipleship, but, but the point is that discipleship often involves... Uh, just imitating that person and their, their love and for Christ Jesus. And so, he's given us the three metaphors, and then finally, he gives us the greatest example of all, and that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who perfectly illustrates that of a hard-working um, Farmer, and that of a, 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 a single-minded purpose of a, of a soldier, and that of, of a determination of will of somebody who competes like an athlete, somebody who is focused and yet is loving and does things in a compassionate way. Is Jesus Christ, the perfect model and the perfect person for us to, to look toward, to set our sights upon. And so Paul says, um, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. He says two things about him. Risen from the dead and a descendant of David. So his, his, 
his divinity, he's, he's risen from the dead, he's also his humanity, he's a descendant of David. According to my gospel, now this is a personal treasure of Paul's. He says, according to my gospel, one thing I want to pass on to my kids and to anybody I come in contact with is the gospel treasure of Jesus Christ. And so that's our focus. We present the beauty of a person, the indescribable gift, as he's referred to in another book. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. You know, Paul's in chains. He knows his, his life is close to ending. But the word of God is not imprisoned. You know, people can put us in chains all they want, but they can't chain up the Word of God. Preach the Word, as Paul would tell Timothy. You know, communicate that. Verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. In verse 11, It is a trustworthy statement, and I'm going to kind of fly through this last part a little bit, but um, in the first century, the first century Christians would often hold on to certain statements or uh, hymnal creeds, uh, things like that, and this is probably one of those, something that maybe it may have been even a part of a baptismal confession, um, but these are one of those sayings, and he says, this is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. It's a lot like Romans 6. Uh, we, we've been identified with Christ. We're buried with Him in baptism uh, and, and, and resurrected with Christ. So, if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. You know, that's part of, the, part of the end story here in discipleship is helping people see that they're a part of a bigger story, that God is doing something incredible that as sinners, we've broken that fellowship with God, but He is, he is, a, he is a, a God who is redeeming. He is a God of, of restoration. And He is bringing people back in relationship with Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Spirit. And that means they're going to be a part of a greater story, that one day Jesus Christ will come back again to reign on this earth and to reign with us, we get to be um, with Him, reigning with Him. And that's, that's the end story. And that's a beautiful story. He's going to make all things right. And he is, he is in that process, in His timing, will come back. And so if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He, will also, he also will deny us. And so I think ultimately... Um, this is a statement about his faithfulness to himself that those who don't abide in Christ, those who don't have the Son, will not have life. Okay? This is not saying that you will lose your salvation after you know Christ Jesus, but it's saying that God is a God of faithfulness, of trustworthiness, and he is true to himself, and he's very God centered. And God gets all the glory. And so, those who have the Son will have life, will endure, will reign with Him. Those who don't have the Son won't have life. 
If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. God is always faithful. It's, it's something that's been encouraging to, to my wife and I really even just recently as we think about the faithfulness of God. All throughout the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, God's faithfulness. You know, God's faithfulness is a pattern and a promise for, uh, for what is to come. He's been faithful in the past and He'll be faithful in the present and He'll continue to be faithful in the future. And so we hold on to Him, we cling to Him, and we go to Him in His Son, Jesus Christ, to be strengthened, as Paul said. And we're entrusted with the beautiful treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we relay that to someone else by pouring into them. And through that process, we set our focus, our minds on Jesus Christ, the author, perfecter of our faith. And so that's, that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do in this chapter. And so what I want you to ask yourself is, what is your aim? What is your, your focus? Do you need a reminder? I often need reminders. Um, Paul reminded people of the gospel. Peter reminded people of the gospel living and the way of, of doing things. And so we forget things very easily. And so I, I sometimes kind of need that, that halftime speech or that fourth quarter speech where somebody is kind of like, hey, you know, God's, God's, God's got this. You know, you've, you've, you've got a purpose. He's made you for a reason. Um, and He's uniquely made each and every one of us. And, and He's given us the most incredible person, Jesus Christ, that we hold dearly, and we can relay that to the next person. And so we want, to, we want to live that out in our life because we know He's faithful, and we know we're a part of a greater purpose. And so we give glory to God through that and ask for His help in doing that. So thank you for letting me share. Uh, let me close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity to, to bring the Word of God um, among a congregation here in Bernie that that loves your son Jesus, that is committed to your word, and that is committed to living out the gospel. And so I just um, I pray for them that you would continue to use them um, in this area uh, and in this greater area as a, uh, as a reminder of faithful living, as a reminder of, of uh, faithful stewards of the gospel who will um, pour into others this incredible treasure. God, help me to do that as well. Help me to remain I'm committed to you to have the single-minded conviction of purpose to wake up each day knowing that you're in control, that I might be faithful in the little things that you've given me. And so, Father, I just thank you again for this time. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.